This morning, as we're all aware, it's Mother's Day. Mother's Day brings different emotions and different feelings to different people. But um, what strikes me, uh, and it's probably a personal appreciation on my own part, is um, how much I appreciate my mother. So today, what I'd like for us to do is to take just a moment and have a short prayer in thanks for our mothers. So anyone who doesn't have a mother, you can not pray if you want to. But I suspect everybody in here, we all have mothers. That's how we got here in the first place. So um, we're going to go ahead and just give thanks for the fact that we had a mother who gave us guidance and direction and uh, has assisted us throughout our lives. And I don't know if you're my, the way I am in my feeling toward my mother, but uh, in my case, because um, my father died when I was quite young, uh, my mother basically could do no wrong. Um, unfortunately, I was able to do quite a bit wrong when I was a little kid, but I was most thankful for my mother's love and care. So let's just pray and give thanks for our own mothers this day. Father God, we do come to you in in an attitude of appreciation that we do have a Mother's Day that we can reflect back on and recognize we are here, we are who we are very much because of the guidance and care and patience and love, direction, sometimes struggles even that came in our relationships with our mothers. But we thank you so much for building the family, having a family that people can grow from and grow into adults uh, from that particular guidance that's given by our mothers. Father, we thank you for that and we uh, ask that we would be uh, worthy individuals, appreciative each and every day of the life you've given us. In Jesus' name, amen. Today, we're going to go ahead and continue on looking at the book of Revelation we're looking at chapters 21 and 22. We're actually going to complete uh, our time with this book today. Uh, I love the book of Revelation. It's uh, a very interesting book, but it's certainly taken a while to kind of crawl through because we have so many other things that keep breaking in the middle uh, that keep us going in different other directions. So it's kind of difficult to keep the train of thought running very well. But as we look at uh, the book of Revelation... We can start off by basically saying that change is in the air. There's change that's coming in our lives. And I don't know how you are about change. Some people like change. Some people don't. Some people get very nervous around the idea that, that things are going to be changing. But I know one of the realities in life, it seems, is that every time we get into a change environment, one of the first things we do is we try to find a way to kind of settle in and get comfortable. Now, I think there's good and bad in doing that. I know that every time I travel, uh, my wife always notes when I come in, the first thing I do is start putting all my dirty clothes in the dirty clothes hamper, and I'm running around, I'm putting everything back where it belongs so that I can function again in a normal way at home. And that's just my habit. It's my way of settling in. Once I've got everything back where it belongs, and I put the luggage back up and everything else, then life is good. 
But I'm not like some people. Some people can go in their house, they put their bag down, and two days later it's still sitting there. And I'm sure there are a few of those in this room. But we won't guess which ones. But for me, that settling in process is always a, a very important thing to do. And yet the Scripture, even as we look at Revelation, in chapters 21 and 22, it tells us very clearly, don't get settled in too comfortably. See, part of the problem is, if we're not careful, we're not even selective where we get settled. We get settling into environments sometimes that aren't even really that great of an environment to settle into. And one of the things that the Scripture is trying to tell us is, when it comes to the world in which we live, we don't need to become too comfortable with this world. We don't need to settle in so, so much that we accept what is found here as normal. We also don't need to look at what we find here as being the best it's ever going to be. You know, some of us compromise. We just think, well, this is all I'm going to ever get. This is my educational background. These are the people I know. This is all it's ever going to be. So I'm just going to settle down right here and just be comfortable and go on. But God is trying to tell us in the Scripture if you'll recognize reality and be a little patient, change is coming. There's going to be more. But you know, I, I can still remember a number of years ago, I had a good friend of mine that from Hong Kong uh, went to Hawaii to study. I had introduced him to a particular scholarship called the East-West Cultural Scholarship, which is by far the best scholarship the world has ever created, or man in this particular case. But it, it provides food and housing and uh, rental and gives you a subsidy for daily living and everything else. And he went there and completed his master's degree and his doctorate. And then he went back to Hong Kong. The only uh, requirement within the whole process was after you completed your two-year or you completed your program, you would go back to your home country, whatever country it was, and work for two years minimum. And so he went back to Hong Kong, been teaching at Hong Kong at uh, Hong Kong's uh, Chinese University. For a number of years. But I can still remember when Henry got to, to Hawaii. Boy, I mean, I was getting these regular letters all the time talking about how great Hawaii was. And he had talked to me. And the reason I'm thinking about Hawaii is because Sam just got back from there. You know, so I mean, it just gets on my mind. And so he, he, we were talking about this, this recently, about what the experience was for Sam. But I was reflecting on Henry's situation. Every day in the afternoon, it would rain. And it would rain a little bit. But he said it didn't rain very much. And you just got used to that. And he said, you know, it's really hard, though. I have to support the local economy by being sure that I go out and use the uh, opportunity to surf some every day. Because if I don't, you know, support it, it'll close up, I'm sure. And I can remember he made me look at these letters. And I would look at these letters, and I was so envious. And he'd write to me about once a month. And I think he felt guilt because I was the one that introduced him to the scholarship, made him complete the forms. And that's the reason he kept writing these letters back. But after about a year and a half, his... Uh, his life changed, and he finally got up to a certain point after a year and a half, and he started writing differently. And he said, bottom line is, I'm tired of great weather every day. I just want some storms. Give me a good typhoon every now and then. i got to have something that's got some change in it. And you know, people are kind of like that. Even if you go to the place that everybody else thinks of as the ideal point, almost heaven, 
It's never, still never good enough. It's good for a while, but even then we're not satisfied. Man does not deal with change very, very smoothly. In chapter 20, verse 15 of Revelation, just before we get into chapter 21, it reminds us of the book of life. Now, in the Scripture, we can even reflect back, and we can go back to the Old Testament, back to Genesis in the early chapters where we're reading about the tree of life. Here we're hearing about the book of life, and it's saying if our name is not in the book of life, then we have a major problem, that we will indeed be thrown into the lake of fire. So there's a warning there and a teaching there. But basically, it's a way of trying to remind us that change is coming in the air one way or the other for people. We're going to be facing change. And in chapter 21, it begins by saying that there's going to be a new sky and a new earth. Now, the Scriptures talks about a new heaven and a new earth. But the implication in Scripture actually is it's referring more to the skies and the earth. So, you know, sometimes we talk about when you look into the heavens, it doesn't necessarily mean heaven, but the heavens, the sky. And so it says in the Scripture, the sky is going to change, the earth is going to change, all this environment is going to change, and there's going to be a new heaven, a new earth. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 10 says, The day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar. And the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Peter seems to be describing almost the end of all we know as normal. The Bible is never intended as a magic book. We need to remember that. It's not intended to try to include every item of every experience you will face in life. It gives us some broad definition gives us some clarity for understanding, and then we have to find out where we fit in the picture. Our goal needs to always be that we understand as much about Scripture as we can, as much about our future as we can. Um, in in chapter, uh, chapter 21, verses 1 and 2, and verse 27, it again refers to the old heaven and the old earth, and says it's going to be a new one and a new Jerusalem. Now, we have to remember the, the readers. Now, John was out on this island of Patmos receiving this vision, getting this clarity for what the future is going to be like. And we, he's dealing with people who are like himself very often, or Jewish people with that background, so they understand the need for somehow God to redeem them as a people that they have suffered through years and years of difficulty. And so he's trying to understand it, and he's trying to communicate it to the readers. And so when it says uh, uh, a new, new heaven, a new earth, and then also a new Jerusalem, it, it communicates some very interesting things. Recently I was uh, reading some about the Great Lakes. You know, uh, when you come here to Vancouver, it seems like a long way from Toronto. But Toronto's very near the Great Lakes. And um, in the Great Lakes, they have these storms that come. And when the storms come, they can be pretty big because the lake is large enough, the swells are very dangerous for the ships. And I remember even back in my case, when I moved to Hong Kong in 1975, I moved in the middle of the year. But at the end of the year, there was a storm 
that hit Lake Superior. And there was a ship that was sunk at that time, the Edmund Fitzgerald. And that, that ship had 29 people on it. And it went down because of a huge storm that came. And in Scripture, we'll also remember when we talk about the Sea of Galilee and the various things. Anytime you get a large body of water, there's the potential that combining the water and the winds can have significant storms. And we all know the story of where Christ was out in a ship and actually also hit major storm weather coming and just calmed the seas. So the scripture in verses 1 and verse 2, and there we begin to see, says there's going to be a new Jerusalem, but it also says the seas will be gone, will be taken away. The seas is sort of a representation of some of the storms in our lives. Some people would say it also has to do with death. But it's just saying the removal of those things that are conflictual for our experience are going to be removed. So again, this book at this point is writing to say, Change is coming, but the change is good. Good news. We want change. We welcome the change. Now, some of you don't welcome change very easily. But the Scripture says we need not worry. The change, certainly for those who are followers of God, we have nothing to fear. It is a starting over experience in this change. You know, this is uh, it's interesting because it's not a... Um, a regeneration, it's a recreation. And yet there is a certain amount of, of, of identity that's going on in these scriptures in here as it's talking about the New Jerusalem, really not unlike what we find in the Old Testament when we look at the Garden of Eden. And we'll be looking at that in a few minutes. But as we think about the Garden of Eden, you know, originally... Spiritually, Adam and Eve were with God. Physically, they were with God. Mentally, they were with God. Emotionally, they were with God. But due to the sin, their own choice, nobody else, it couldn't blame anyone else, that curse that came through, them choosing sin, broke all of those with God comments. The physical, the emotional, the spiritual, with God became broken. And in the Scripture, according to Revelation, that is going to be renewed. There's going to be a new creation, a new opportunity for us to be with God in a new revelation, a new relationship. So it's a very exciting time. goes on in verse 3 and 4. It says, God's going to live with His people. Now, that's a little different than, than what we found in the garden because uh, there was a little bit of distance, even from the very earliest time. But still, it did talk about God walking with, with, with Adam and Eve. They were together. I mean, there was a relationship, a, a daily fellowship. But it says in the future, our relationship is not going to have crying or pain, sorrow. All of the things we've become comfortable with and assumed to be normal. Now, this is one of the reasons that I like this scripture is it challenges me to understand what I think of as normal in God's definition is not, nor will it ever be normal. His idea of normal is without sin. Remove sin. Now, you and I in here today are going to have some challenges because I'll guarantee you that your mind and my mind don't really know how to function very well without 
having sin somehow impact our perspective. We talk about choice. We talk about different opinions. We talk about, we have a lot of politically correct vocabulary to describe why we would do something differently than God. But according to Scripture, in the book of Revelation, sin is absent, which will be a very different experience for us. I was talking with, I'm going to look around and see if he's in here or not. It's a little dangerous. Go ahead. I won't use a name. I won't use a name, but yesterday afternoon I was talking to Hiram. Oh, sorry. Maybe I did use the name. And we were discussing the issue of our church and what we need to do to go forward and how we can try to stretch ourselves to be more creative. And some of the issues of being creative in a church that has some people who like creativity, who want to give it a shot and give new experiences and this kind of thing. And you've got others that are a little more nervous about that. Their concept is if you don't have a certain structure, then it's not real. It doesn't count. It's not official in how you're doing whatever it is, including a worship service. So we had this good conversation. At a certain point in the conversation, I mentioned to him a friend of mine that I've known for many years, but who was about 30 years of age and had, a, had been wanting a job. And I had told this friend that I would never, ever want to hire her to do a job. And I explained to her the reason I would never hire her was because in the last eight years she had had five different jobs. And her perspective was, well, so what's the point? And I went ahead and explained. The point is, you don't have any commitment. If you're going to switch every year and a half, why would I want you? I remember a number of years ago, uh, I had a, an opportunity to get a job up in the northeastern part of the United States doing international, well, it wasn't international, it was just student work, working with students. And uh, it would be covering 11 states in the northeast near Boston, up in that area. My, my center would have been in Boston, been when I had been living. It was a wonderful opportunity. The salary was good. The experience sounded marvelous. In every way, I was attracted to it. But I had come back to America having lived in Hong Kong at that point seven years, knowing that I was only going to be in the United States about four years. So I listened to this guy, and he and I had talked a couple, this was a second conversation, and he was ready to fly me into Boston to meet his uh, other co-workers there and to find out what was next. And he made a statement that caught my ear. And when I heard it, I thought, uh, this isn't going to work. I thought that first before I said it. And then a few moments later, I said, I have something I think probably I should tell you. I'm currently in the United States, and I'm working on a doctor's degree. Uh, I'm trying to find a place to be able to serve while I'm here. But my expectation is, in four years, I'll be able to go back overseas, really where I belong. And he, he said, you know, we want the international experience. We want your cross-cultural understanding. But he said, I think you're saying something that's very, very important. And I said, yeah, I can tell because you made a comment a moment ago that let me know you're looking long-term. And he said, yes. He said, that is absolutely right. He said, I appreciate your honesty to tell me that because a lot of people would have taken the job 
worked here three or four years and then just left. And he said, we would have spent a year investing. So we're fully expecting it's going to take one whole year of investment to really get you up and running, to really understand what we want, what we need from you. If we put a year into you, and two and a half years later, you're, you're packing out to leave, we've wasted a lot of money and a lot of energy. And he said, I appreciate so much your honesty. He said, I would love to have you here, but this, this truly doesn't seem to be a match. You see, the problem was, I had a commitment, but my commitment was overseas. I did not have a commitment that was attractive to him and focused on what he needed. God wants a commitment from you. God wants a commitment from us. In chapter 21, verses 9 to 27, 21, it gives this great description about the new Jerusalem. This is the, the replacement, the new approach that, that comes even better than the Garden of Eden. And it goes through and it says uh, that nothing is impure. Is going to, this is verse 27. Nothing impure is going to be inside. Can you imagine decisions that are all going to be between good and better? All decisions are good and better. There is no bad decision. There is no sinful decision, even to be offered. If, if I don't know where you are with your thinking on Adam and Eve, but I've asked myself many times, what would have happened if Adam and Eve had eaten of the, the tree of life instead of the tree of knowledge, good and evil? In this situation, the tree of life will be, be there. It will be present. The expectation is long-term. The commitment is long-term. And God is saying, those are the ones I want with me. Long-term commitment people. And He mentions it again in a few minutes, and we'll look at that as well. But as we look at the New Jerusalem, and we look in chapter 21 and 22, we can recognize as we look verses 9 all the way through 27, it gives this beautiful description. But we do need to realize symbolism sometimes helps us to relate. And it talks about all these things. And yes, it talks about the streets of gold. And it talks about the various things that are beautiful on the foundations of the various places. It talks about the 1,500 square miles, which really would be like Chicago to Dallas, Dallas to San Diego, San Diego to Seattle. Huge square. Sorry, I can't figure it out in Canada. I need to work on that. But it talks about the healing of the nations and the lack of sin that will be there. And the fact that the, there won't be a need for the sun because... The light will come because of Christ. There won't be a need for a temple because a temple is a place you go to, to try to worship that which is outside in a way, but Jesus will be there. So you don't have to worship away from Him, about Him. You can actually be there with Him. From this first section that describes in chapter 21 all of these things, wonderful things, about the New Jerusalem, we move into chapter 22 and it talks about the river of life in verses 1 to 7. And it says that within this river, within this uh, city, there is a river that flows. It says there is no more curse that exists. And it goes back again to challenge us in our, our ability to understand how we can relate to the Adam and Eve situation. It says that man and God will be together. The separation between God 
in humanity is finally healed. There's a healing process that has come on. We're face to face with God. Now, I don't know if you remember, but in Old Testament times, to, to look at the face of God was dangerous. And yet we do recognize in Exodus thirty-three eleven that Moses had that special privilege. But somehow the face-to-face encounter is a way of communicating depth of relationship. In Hong Kong, I can remember I used to get telephone calls from people and they would call and they would address me with different titles. And when they would call, they'd call me doctor. Then I knew it was one relationship. And they'd call you mister. It was a different relationship. When they call you pastor, it was a different relationship. But when I heard one, it would say, bah. That was a relationship I had to pay attention to. And if I heard the, uh, the accent was a little unique there, probably my wife calling, and she could call me almost anything and I would respond. Because I knew the relationship was important. Relationships are important. They're important to God. They need to be important to us. In chapter 22, verses 8 to 21, we can see the glory of God. And I personally really enjoy verses 8 and 9. And the reason I enjoy verses 8 and 9 is because it's John one more time. See, I'm a one more time guy. Sometimes I get it on the first time. Sometimes I don't. Sometimes you have to repeat something to me multiple times before I get it. John, one more time, got so excited as he was listening to these angels. And he was listening to the, the presentation of what was going on. And he's just so tempted, he just, his knees got weak and he was ready to worship the angel. And every time, and this happened multiple times in the book of Revelation, the angel had to remind him, don't do that. It's not funny anymore. Quit it. I'm just like you are. I'm a servant of God. Don't worship me. Don't get confused. You know, in the world in which we live, we get confused a lot. And we put our value system in the wrong place. And we need to be telling ourselves, don't do that. Our worship needs to be focused only on God. Our life and our time and how we use ourselves needs to be focused only on Him. If you want to take away from this simple sermon today, as we look at chapter 21 and 22, my prayer would be that it would be God is reaching out Even you. Oh, I'm not trying to insult you. I'm insulting me too. I'm saying it's a miracle that the Creator God of our universe even cares about you or me. God is reaching out even to you. You don't deserve it, neither do I. Stop focusing on your needs, your wants, your desires, your goodness. What you think of to be fair in life. What you think of as to be legal in life. And start realizing that God is gracious in His love for you. And that He cares beyond your wishes and desires. This prophecy, I want to remind us as it goes on. It says, seal it not. 
This scripture in verse 22, it says, let people know about this. It says in in verses 10 to 15, there are good people, there are bad people. Some will be negative and they will always be negative. Some will be positive and they will be positive. That's great. There will always be unjust, filthy, sinful people living alongside righteous and holy people. God knows that. God knows what we do. Uh, I grew up in a different world than the world we live in today. When I was growing up, I can remember my youth director talking to me about Jesus and where Jesus is and where He went. You know, I had learned the what they call the attributes of God. Uh, omniscient, omnipotent, and omnipresent. Uh, he is all-knowing. He is everywhere and, and, and truly all-powerful. I knew those things. In theory, great words, nice things to know. So what? The so what came from my youth director, though, is, is, is he would talk about everywhere you go, Jesus goes. Everything you say, Jesus hears. You don't hide from Christ. If we are Christians, our walk is not something we hide and say, this is the Sunday me, and this is the Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday me. If you go to a place that you know is not a good place, you've just taken Jesus there. Because your witness and your testimony, anybody that knows you, you're a Christian and sees you in that environment, first thing you're probably going to want to do is hide. You don't want anybody else to see you, and it's because you know you're in the middle of sin. I grew up with that kind of an environment, and it helped me to walk and to know how to make decisions. And that began when I was about 12 years old. I'm not sure that this understanding even exists in young people today. You know much better than I do if that does exist or not. But do you ever, even as an adult, do you ever treat God in a way that you can somehow either ignore Him or think that you can hide something from Him? If you do... I will tell you now, you're silly. God knows it all. Verses 17 to 21 says, Accept this prophecy. Be aware of this prophecy. While only in a simple way, we have gone through the book of Revelation. These are the final verses. God says in His words uh, that, that things are valuable and that people are invaluable. Are, are valuable to Him. How do we help the words of, the, the, of this Scripture to impact your life and mine? That is our challenge. John 14, verse 2 and 3 is the wrap-up. Go and prepare a place. It says, In my Father's house are many mansions. If that were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. God thought it important enough to prepare a place for you and for me. Our challenge today is 
Are we equally prepared to meet Him? Let's pray. Father, today today we come together as brothers and sisters, recognizing we are but sinners. We recognize our limitations. We recognize the way that Satan tries to deceive us each and every day. We recognize that, that we, we're very confused in many ways within the world in which we live. Father, we would ask that we would learn not to compromise. We would ask for strength. We would ask that we would become the powerful people that you want us to be so that indeed we are prepared. Father, we thank you for preparing a place for us. We thank you for the new Jerusalem. We thank you for another opportunity. After Adam and Eve, we almost have to wonder why you would bother. And yet, you're trying again. And this time you're saying we're going to make it. Father, we give you praise for that. We thank you for removing sin from that environment. Because you love us so much, you want us to be in a family relationship for eternity. In Jesus' name, amen.